Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, E.K. Wimmer. I am Mariah Rose. Hey, uh, you're listening to a podcast about the 80s, and we will be discussing the 80s. So thanks for joining us. Uh, For those of you who are new to our podcast, thanks for finding us. Welcome. For those of you returning, thanks for coming back. Hello again. If you would like to help us out, the best way you could do that would be to rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends. But yeah, give mm-hmm. us five stars on uh, wherever you're getting your you know, iTunes or whatever. But Please do. It really helps us. Yeah, we're anywhere and everywhere you get your podcasts. Um, but Or you could go to lasergraves.com and check out all the back episodes. But mm-hmm. thanks up front to everybody who has been following us episode to episode. And if you're new... Uh, <laughs> enjoy <Buckle> the ride. <laughs> Buckle up, buttercup. Oh, <laughs> okay. how have you been doing? I've been good. I mean, we are just living the final days of summer before we explore the new mysteries of what fall will bring us in the year 2020. Um, yeah, <laughs> who knows what's coming? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a comedy of errors, and I just say comedy because we will cry if we dig too deep, but. I'm yeah. in the grand scheme of things. I am well. How are you? I'm good. I saw a meme that said something like it's 2020's life and we're all just living in it. Oh, it's true. It is true. No, I'm doing really good, actually. I'm working on a ton of stuff. I uh, finishing up a short film and working on another film. And I've got another one in in the canon about to shoot me out with a helmet on top towards a target. Why do we call them short films, but not long films? Because uh, they're feature films. But why wouldn't you just call them long and short? I don't know. Or tall and short. Why Why do you care? I don't know. It just bothers me. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, that's I what I want. I think it every time. Okay. Well, <laughs> you should look into that. I'm going to complain to the higher ups. And then come back next week and tell us what you found. No, I'll probably forget in five minutes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Did you uh, find anything this week at the thrift stores? Just some kind of weird odds and ends. Um, <laughs> well, I I fulfilled my 14-year-old dream by buying a lava lamp. Well, yeah, you did buy a lava lamp. That was <laughs> Then you said, here, hold this. And I, I thought yeah. you were joking, but nope. No, I bought a lava lamp because the 14-year-old in me didn't get a lava lamp. And I was like, guess what? For six bucks, you get a lava lamp. I plugged it in. It was rad for about five minutes, and then I unplugged it, and that was that. So I think that it'll be, like, a cool, moody thing to do occasionally, but, you know, it's okay. Okay. I also got a coffee mug that has the instructions for doing the running man on it. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> so solid finds. What about you? Actually, today uh, I found two amazing things. Uh Two original vintage early '90s Metallica shirts, which are those oh. things are crazy expensive. They'll, They're worth a hundred thousand dollars. Well, they'll easily sell over a hundred, but I was like, "What?" And then I pulled them out. I was so excited because they're like Injustice for All era. So actually, they're a little earlier than that. But uh, I pulled them out, and I was really excited. And they are two two X. 
So mm-hmm. they're like um, a nightgown, like an Ebenezer Scrooge nightgown on me. Right, but 90s 2X is 2020s small. Yeah. America well, is expanding. No, it does look like I'm wearing a mini mini dress. Oh, you tried it on. That's cute. No, I didn't try it on. I just pulled it up. But I, Put a belt on it. It'll be a fashion That's statement. true. Oh, I could put a lot with like some tights underneath. Please don't. I'll do it. <laughs> Uh, but I did find those. Of course, I grabbed them because they're amazing. Uh, you know, maybe I'll trade for them or something. But my other finds, I so I, I collect a lot of post-apocalyptic films, and The Running Man is one that I've always been like, I don't know if I'll hold on to it because it's got Arnold. It's a little mainstream, but then again, it's like a really cool film. And I got rid of my copy last week. And I told myself, well, if I found the Vestron release, then I would keep it. Mm-hmm. And then the only tape I found this week was the Vestron release of The Running Man. Wow. And then I also found uh, the movie tie-in book for The Running Man by Stephen King. Weird. I and know. it is no link to The Running Man mug that I found. So what I need you to do okay. in preparation for a future episode, because it's 80s, oh. is pour coffee into your Running Man mug. Mm-hmm. And start reading the book. And then we will do a book two movie comparison episode of The Running Man. Ooh, okay. Well, I'll read the book too, but... But I will read the book while doing The Running Man. With coffee. Yeah. Well, you need that that level of energy, though. You need that level of, uh, I don't know, skill. Fun fact about our marriage, we waited to do The Running Man in front of each other until we were married. It's true. I didn't know we did. It was pretty glorious. (laughs) You know what doing The Running Man with with coffee in your mug and not dripping it reminds me of that scene in The Golden Child where he has the cup and one of the challenges is he can't spill a drop. I really want to try it, but I know that I would instantly fail. I feel like you might be able to. We should do uh, Golden Child sometime. You want to do that movie? I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, I'm game. Not this week. This week we're doing the burbs. The yep. burbs. Deb burbs. Oh, you did it. I was <laughs> I, I was like physically restraining myself from saying dub burbs. Yeah, well I I couldn't wait and I was gonna do the burbs. Oh no. 1989. This is squeezing in at the tail end of the eighties. Pinching off that loaf. Pinching off that loaf with a big one. <laughs> big <laughs> awesome one. You are a huge fan of this film. Oh my goodness. Okay, so uh, I wasn't really allowed to watch scary movies when I was a kid, but this one kind of slipped under the radar because it, I think it has a PG rating, but it was also Tom Hanks. So my parents were like, obviously, it's fine. Yeah. He's so America's I was allowed to watch child. it. Yeah. So and it was just like just touching the edge of horror. And I was so intrigued by horror as a kid because yeah. it was forbidden. So this was a real thrill. And I watched it over and over and over and over again. That is adorable. Yeah. We could not be more different. I know. Your parents were like, oh, you're born. Here's all of the horror movies. Goodbye. I had already worked through all the Fridays and nightmares and everything. Yeah. We definitely had different upbringings. <laughs> at least but here I we were, am. At least until we were in high school and my mom was like, I think I should claim Eric on our taxes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm corrupting her child. <laughs> Here's Mirror Mirror. Oh, no, please. I had already gone over the edge before you arrived. Well, The Burbs 1989, it really is a fun one. Um, Released February 17th, 1989. It was actually finished earlier, but then it kept getting pushed back. And an interesting fact is, by the time it did come out, um, Tom Hanks had already been nominated for an Oscar for uh, Big. 
Oh. Isn't that funny? What year did Big come out? 88? Yeah, it must have been 88, okay. 89, somewhere around there. So oh, I didn't look into it. Directed by the one and only Joe Dante, who mm-hmm. in this household, we are a fan. I don't know his personal life, so if he sucks, don't come at me with that. Uh, I like his movies a lot. Don't come at me, bro. (laughs) Seriously, I don't need to know about it right now. (laughs) All of my childhood directors, like, my dreams have been crushed every time I read their mysteries. But Joe Dante, this is right between uh, Amazon Women on the Moon and Gremlins 2. So he was just about to follow it up. But he, for for us, he's done some big ones. Explorers, Gremlins, Howling, Piranha. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just a fun... Matinee? I really like Matinee. Yeah. I sold it recently in my fit of I need to clear house. And yeah. then I kind of was like, dang it. But it's <laughs> I can of, stream it. Yeah, I can watch it I anytime. feel like Matinee is a Sunday afternoon one where you put it on and maybe fall asleep while you watch it. It's because it's got the word Matinee. It's like oh right, duh. It's like the Jeanne film, a very long engagement. Oh. We still haven't seen it, and he's one of our favorite directors, just because the name is called a very long engagement. I'm like, yeah. I will never watch that. It, you know, if there was a movie called Afternoon Drive, same thing. Yeah. Like that driving on a road trip at two in the afternoon. There are movies that fit into that mood where I'm just like, no, thank you. Yeah, if it has, if it, there's a, a notion that it's going to be long in the title, yeah, I just cut it off right there. Yep, no thanks. Moving but on. Joe Dante did this. He was definitely in his prime when he was doing this one. And um, he brought on Tom Hanks, who was our big star. Oh, yeah. We'll get into him in just a sec. This had a huge budget. I mean, this was an $18 million budget. Uh-huh. Although it brought home the goods, forty nine million uh, worldwide. Yeah, Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher. Even though it was kind of not well received at the time. What? No, it seriously like it. It did pull it in, and I think just basically because of who was involved. Uh-huh. But the critics were not happy with it, and then over the years, like most films we discuss, yeah, it became a cult classic. Uh, I just it didn't really Weird. hit well. I feel like everybody loves the Burbs. Now, yeah, well, that's a lot of these films we talk about are like that. It's because they came out on VHS, and then yep. all of these this generation grew up watching it because VHS was rather limited in the early or late '80s, early '90s. So we had kind of a smaller selection. Well, and this was a sweet spot, like you mentioned already, was that you could get this as a family or as a child. So mm-hmm. it was a perfect rental for the night. Yeah, because it pleases parents, pleases yep. kids. Yeah, my so. parents were really into Aladdin for that reason. They were like, let's go see Aladdin. And we're like, what is that? And they drove us all the way to the big city, which was 90 miles away, made us watch Aladdin. And I remember leaving the theater and they were like, see, that's what they need to do. Movies that the whole family can love. And then let's flash forward like 20 years to where we were watching. um, What was it? The Will Ferrell remake? Uh, What? The Land Before Time? No. (laughs) What is it called? Land of, was it Land, Land of, of the Lost? Land of the Lost. And, oh my and gosh. We were with your pastor dad, yeah. pastor's wife, mother. Uh, I think we had some children with us. Yeah, it was like my cousin who was like preteen and my brother who was preteen. And there's that scene where he's talking about getting a woman wet and everything else. And oh. we all, there was a collective like shift 
And oh, everybody became very uncomfortable. <laughs> very uncomfortable. And by the time he is like tripping on whatever he's tripping on, we just were still somehow in the theater. And it will forever be one of my favorite experiences with your family. That's awesome. But back to Aladdin, my dad still does the oop hairball joke. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, the other person I wanted to mention was composer Jerry Goldsmith. He's uh, responsible for a lot of good stuff. This was a great score. I don't have this uh, record, but I would definitely be interested if it did come out. I'm sure it came out on vinyl. Really? That'd be cool. So uh, let's, we'll sprinkle kind of some of the cast as we go, but let's just get Tom Hanks out of the way because he's our megastar and we both are Tom Hanks fans. I'm not going to apologize for that at all. He's awesome. Who isn't? I don't know. I feel like there's those haters that's like, He's you know, like when Metallica cut their hair. <laughs> They're like, oh, Tom Hanks. But anyway, I... This, he is I a national Tom's. treasure. This was uh, an important role for him uh, because this was the first role that he was a dad. And he had a big uh, issue with it. Really? He was going to pass on it and needed to be convinced by Joe Dante that it was okay to do this because... He thought it was going to ruin his career, basically, because after that, he couldn't play that kind of funny, oh, young, single young guy, quirky guy like Splash and all that. So mm. what had happened was he signed on to be the dad. And he then, entered his 30s and yeah. had a panic attack. And he really pushed hard to have the kid cut entirely out of the film because he didn't even want that. He wanted to be more of like, oh, how dare cool he? That poor young dad. Boy. Uh, which is funny because when I watched this, it did not change my opinion of Tom Hanks at all. No, no. It's, he's just Tom Hanks in this movie. He's actually more lovable as a dad. Yeah, I I agree. And I think this was a really smart choice for him. I, he's perfect in the role. He plays uh, Ray Peterson, our main neighbor. <laughs> Why did they even bother? First of all, his name is Tom. It's three letters. Why change it to Ray? <laughs> it's like last week when we were discussing Brad Pitt oh. and we refused to. I don't. I seriously don't even know his it was character's Dwight. name. Dwight? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't even have said that. What a ridiculous name. So stupid. Sorry, Dwight. <laughs> well, uh, no, Dwight's not a stupid name. It's just stupid to even call Brad Pitt anything but Brad Pitt. No, you were almost named Dwayne. I was almost named Dwayne. <laughs> I wrote a song about it once that nobody will ever hear. <laughs> it's called My Mother Called Me Dwayne Almost. <laughs> it's a lounge song sung like Tom Jones. Okay. True story. That should have been my fun fact for the week. There you go. Now it is a double fun fact. Okay, well, beyond that. So it starts with an awesome score, like we were saying, by Jerry Goldsmith. And I, I, this film, it's interesting because not a lot actually happens in no. this movie. It's pretty straightforward. The script is really basic. Um, and I don't know, did you read up on, on the script at all? No. So when this was written... It was during a writer's strike. I did know that there was a writer's strike. Yeah, and one of the things that happened was Dana Olsen, the writer, Mm -hmm. because of the strike, could be on set but was not allowed to change the script at all. That's weird. Very weird. So what ended up happening was director... Uh, actors, everybody kind of got to make up sp- stuff on the spot. They were ad living. <laughs> they're ad living on the spot. One of my favorite ones that I read up on, uh-huh. I, it was probably an IMDb fun fact or something, but made me laugh really hard in the film is when at the end, 
Tom Hanks just grabs the hospital gurney and throws it in the back of the ambulance and jumps mm-hmm. on top of it and lays there. <laughs> that was all just him on the spot. I've been blown up or something. Yeah, I loved it. it. We'll get to it later, okay. but that was probably my favorite one. That was that classic. I, that I read. Uh, that was pretty funny. Actually, this movie is full of classic Tom Hanks monologues. He starts pretty subdued, honestly, yeah. with Tom Hanksisms, and then once it amps up, I'm like, there we go. There he is. Yeah. I feel like, okay, well, let's just assume every single person listening to this is on board with Tom Hanks, because how could you not be? Also, what pressure must Tom Hanks be under to get it right? Because everybody's like, we lost Cosby. We can't lose Hanks. (laughs) Totally. He's like, don't do a misstep. Don't. Could you imagine somebody who hates Tom Hanks seeing what episode we're doing this week and being like, I'm listening to that one. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe they're hoping to like find a a crack, a chink in his armor. Oh yeah, maybe. Okay. So yeah, so Tom Hanks is our big one. We'll talk about some more of the supporting cast, but yeah, he's our dude. This is a Tom Hanks film. And the movie starts right away with him. Obviously you got to lead in with your big guns. He's... He's in his house. It's nighttime. He sees lights in the basement of the next door house that's creepy. Yeah. And that's like the intro. And then it goes to the following morning and we see the classic, I think 80% of all 80s movies had to have a paperboy scene. Yeah, for sure. Okay. It was in last week's movie too. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, paperboy tour of this like... I don't know if it was a cul-de-sac. There were parts where it seemed like it was a cul-de-sac and parts where it seemed like it wasn't. Who knows? Uh, we see, we like get a little tour via Paperboy of the neighborhood. We see Walter, who's an old man. He's got a little white dog named Queenie. He's, it's great. Oh, I, gosh, you know, I'm normally not one to just be like, let's look up IMDb fun facts. Yeah. But sometimes when it's a you really gotta. popular movie, there's like a hundred of them and uh-huh. they're fun. That dog, that poodle was from Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude, that's street cred. What? Yeah, for real. Like the down in the well dog? I think so. It's the dog from Silence of the Lambs is what I read. Oh my goodness. That dog, by the way, this scene where it runs over and poops in the yard. Uh-huh. Uh, the, you know what's funny is I wrote a, sh- a short story. Uh-huh. I know you don't like the term short story. A, a tall story. Well, you know, you like the term short story. You just don't like that we don't call features long stories. Is that yeah. what you were saying? Yeah, or tall. It's fine. Okay. Tall story uh, denotes like a lie, right? Tall tale, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're really, you need to think this through before you start opening up this can of worms. I already forgot about it. Why did you bring it back up? Okay. (laughs) Well, anyway, because you were going to research it this week. (laughs) So I wrote a short story once and I had this whole scene of the neighborhood dog going and pooping in somebody's yard. Mm -hmm. That was the entire short story. (laughs) No, yeah, that's what it was called. No, but... That that short story did actually get made. Somebody, you know, a friend mm-hmm. of mine picked it up, shot it and everything. The only change that got made to the script was he was like, I can't do that. Like, train a dog to poop on command. And I was like, no, no, no. You just edit it really fast and then show the dog. But it ended up getting changed. I don't even know what it got changed to. But I read on the way they got this dog to poop was that the actor's Nobody wanted to step in real poop. So somebody who does like the set design had to come up with a mixture of like beans and dog food and yes. then shoot it through like a Oh, a to squeezer. get the tube shape. <laughs> nice. I love movie making. The, like the magic of cinema. 
That's pretty um, cool. Just so incredible. Wow. Yeah. We also meet Ricky, who, who is a real gem of a character, played by... Corey Feldman. He was coming off of Dream a Little Dream which was a film that I remember seeing and when I saw it, I was really like, uh, this isn't the Corys that I know. I need the, like, you know, the Lost Boys Corys. That's like the only one you find acceptable, I think. No, not at all. Okay. Anyway, I, I remember thinking that was weird, but he still had the long black hair and stuff from that role when he auditioned for this role. What's bizarre is that he auditioned because he was in Gremlins, which was another Joe Dante film already. So it's really fascinating that somebody huh. who had already worked with the director... But it had been a while. I guess it had, but... Maybe you just needed to, like, see that he, puberty hadn't messed up his acting. <laughs> well, he was pretty... He was going through a tough patch at this time. Yeah. Honestly, I know Joe Dante and Carrie Fisher, which is not a surprise because she's a little angel, but were both kind of mentoring and helping him through this time because he was... He was struggling a bit sure. during this time in his I mean, life. Child actors, yeah, of and so, but yeah, he's in it. He's great. He's funny. So I mean, good. I, I don't care what you think about him now, but I loved Corey Feldman growing up. Like Corey he was Feldman cool now is awesome. He's like speaking out his truths about growing up in the industry. He's just himself, and I really, I was a huge fan. Uh, you know, as a kid, I thought he was awesome. I liked both the Corys. Honestly, mm-hmm. I thought they were cool. And I think because they were in a lot of films that I really liked. Yeah. But so when I saw him, you know, I loved this. I don't know. uh, We didn't discuss this yet. I mean, we discussed that you like this, but I have not seen this in quite some time. I've caught pieces of it here and there over the years, but I don't think I've watched it fully through Mm -hmm. since I was maybe a teenager, honestly, because this wasn't like a main one that I had. And I only got it recently in the collection. I was like, oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. We should definitely watch this. But you, on the other hand, did you watch this a lot? Like, yes. Uh, through your teens? And so stuff? much. I've I've seen this many, many times. People are crazy about this film. And rightly so. It's amazing. It, it, it And it holds up really well. It's it super does. fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if you're in that camp that's like, you've watched this consistently over and over and over in your life, mm-hmm. I get it. I, I didn't. But it's not because I didn't like it. It's just that I didn't have it in my collection for whatever reason. Yeah. So let's go back to it. Ricky is, he's like a, probably a late teenager. He's getting ready to paint the parents' house. But he likes to watch the goings on of the neighborhood. So he bears witness to everything that is about to unfold. Which is so cool. Yes. And Mr. and Mrs. Rumsfeld. Mr. Rumsfeld is like a nom vet. He's... Yeah, it's a Bruce Dern. Yeah. And then the wife... We have Bruce Stern and then the woman who plays the wife, I don't I don't know her. Uh, Wendy Shaw. So okay. she she was in a couple things like Inner Space and Batteries Not Included, but then she went on to have a massive career. Yeah. American Dad and oh. And I read that how she got the part from what's his name? Seth McFarlane, the yeah. creator. Uh-huh. Was because he was a huge fan of the Burbs. Oh. And he knew she was in it, so he was like, sure, he got the part. <laughs> Instantly. Yeah, because if if you were in the burbs, it's a golden pass through life, I think. I think, except our main neighbor, who is hilarious, he really had just bit parts after Art? This. Yeah. Okay. I think he's so funny in So this. we have, yeah, Mr. and Mrs. Rumsfeld, uh, Walter and Queenie, and then Art, who is their neighbor, his wife is gone. Uh, and he's like a solo guy. He's kind of got a John Candy kind of vibe. A little bit. I like, would say that. big and dopey, whatever. Ray's wife is played by Carrie Fisher. Uh, she, her name is Carol. 
Oh, wow. That's a They stretch. got real creative. <laughs> Tom turns to Ray and Carrie turns to Carol. Okay. Hey, you know, you're just talking about who Art reminds you of. Who? Yeah. You know who he reminds me of? Who? He seems like he could have been the older brother of Anthony Michael Hall. Like, think uh, about weird yeah, science yeah. era. Not totally. Chet, older brother, but like, nah. he actually kind of looks like Anthony Michael Like Hall. a smidge. I see it. Yeah. Yeah, his like weird brother. Art comes in. He's got a gun in, in a way that would never fly today. I would say this is one of the only areas where you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that and, and uh, Carrie Fisher's hairdo. I We're, think that was a wig. And no, okay, this, uh, when I, I went through that, because I don't do fun facts on IMDb because I that annoys me, but uh-huh. there were so many. I was just like, what, what? I, I what? go through it. It's a treasure trove. I'm trail. almost positive I read, I could be totally making this up, that that was a wig, but that when she pulled it off, it looked like her normal hair and that people couldn't tell the difference. Uh, okay. Why would you wear that? Well, she does get like a haircut where it's like a shorter version halfway oh. through the movie. Okay. This or like we talked about her hair in this. It's the Dorothy Hamill. It's like a, I think it's called a wedge cut. It really doesn't look good, but she looks so cute in this film. And yeah. I'm like, otherwise, why does she have that stupid hair? Well, that's just how it was in the eighties. I guess that you wasn't had working. To, whatever you did, you just had to ruin it with your hair to find balance. <laughs> Totally. Uh, I don't know. Hair today, it's gone a tomorrow. So Art's shooting with a gun. I don't know why. Who cares? He comes into uh, Ray and Carol's house, and he comes in and starts eating. He eats two plates of their breakfast, and then this was my favorite part. He goes into their fridge. He grabs last night's ribs and a full pineapple. <laughs> Does and, he? Yes. I didn't catch that. He just sits down at the table with that and starts chowing down. <laughs> I did like that he was eating all their food. That made me laugh. You know what? That used to be like, that's problematic. Never would that happen with yeah. an adult. But you and I, actually, when we were living in an apartment, we had a friend who lived a couple stories up from us and he would come into our house and just eat our food oh, dave the goliath where are you buddy i know he's, I so, he's him. so tall so, he was so, huge so tall. like six nine or something like that yeah he was a tall guy crazy he would just walk into our apartment and just start eating our food yeah was, but he was so cool he was very nice <laughs> but it was weird i was like why well, you just made that we were just about to eat and he's like, Thanks. it was like we were living in a sitcom at that point in our life. For sure. I agree. Anyway, so it, it can happen. That's not too far off of reality. And they, they're all at the breakfast table talking about these crazy neighbors. Like, have you met them? Do you know them? Nobody does. And the, their name is the Klopex, these mysterious mm-hmm. neighbors with a crazy basement. And one of them comes out onto the porch that morning. <laughs> neck beard. He's got red hair and a full neck beard. I, so, you know what's interesting about this, which makes me think I must have watched this a lot more than I remember, was uh-huh. as I was watching it, I literally remembered every single scene. Yeah. Like, normally when I revisit a film, I kind of vaguely remember it, but I remember everything in this film, which tells me I clearly watched this multiple times since mm-hmm. I was a teen. I just didn't remember seeing it. So we must have been watching it through college and stuff like that. Because, yeah, Neckbeard especially, like, he cracks me up. He's fabulous. So he comes out onto his porch. He scans the neighborhood. All of the neighbors are, like, mid-whatever they're doing in their yards. And they're staring at him. And he turns around and goes back inside. And Ray and Art begin daring each other to go and, like, ring the doorbell. 
and this they, is so suburbia. This uh, is hard. I mean, we're living in suburbia right now. We do. We live right in the midst of like it. It is like everybody watches everybody's business. Yes. And it's insane. Yeah, I, can I would see agree. This. I like this. This is really funny. It's, it's true. so relatable. It's true. And so they dare each other they, to ring the doorbell. They go up to the house. Like, the deck partially collapses on them. Like, one of them steps through. The house number, like, falls <laughs> to 666. Funny. And then like bees that. come out. Yeah. And they take off running. Yeah. And then this is when Corey, uh, as Ricky, takes it up a notch. And he has decided he's going to take his date to watch the neighborhood. I love this so much. This reminded me a lot of, we watched uh, recently, which sucks because it's not a 80s movie, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Oh, so good. Same kind of vibe, right? Where yeah. it's like a teenage, like hard rock. Well, he's like... He would be friends with the brother. Totally old, would The be older friends. brother. And they all kind of look like they're dressed up to look like they listen to metal, but they clearly don't really listen to metal. Uh-huh. Because my problem with Corey Feldman in this is he has this like Judas Priest jacket where it's like oh my full gosh. spiked leather, but he's wearing a tie-dyed shirt underneath, which I, that just wouldn't have gone. That. What, what about like the Blue Oyster Cult group? Do you remember the Stone Age? Yes. Does anybody have the Stone Age on tape? Uh, hook me up. We have been wanting to rewatch. I bet you it does not hold up at all. Probably not. We watched I only that remember, like, so much in it. college. Anyway, it kind of reminded me of that, and it really it bothered me because I felt like if they would have just put like a band shirt, it would have been so much more. But he, yeah, he would have totally been hanging out with the dudes from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Absolutely. So he and his date are watching the street. And it's like crazy noises from the basement. There's lightning striking the house that night. It's crazy. And the uh, neckbeard guy, who we later learn is named Hans, he gets in his car, pulls the car out of the garage, (laughs) drives it up to the end of the driveway, pulls something out of the trunk, shoves it into the garbage can, and like violently slams it with like a hoe. I read that that was ad lib too. That he huh. was just frustrated and was just hitting it over and over and over, and they just left it in the film. No, oh, that's a weird thing to get frustrated about. <laughs> he strikes me as somebody who would really smash trash down into a can, though. Okay. I have a question about this. Okay. So he's out there. Um, Art, the neighbor, uh-huh. who eats all the food. Yeah. He's the one that's like a conspiracy theorist and is convinced that the neighbors are like killing people and they're satanic. He jumps to that conclusion. It's the satanic panic era, though. I, okay, so that's Fair. what I'm giving this the benefit of. However, like, where did that come from? It really came out of nowhere. This would be my only criticism yeah. of this whole film is either some scenes were cut or this was just kind of sloppy writing is that I loved that this was a satanic panic type of film. Uh-huh. But I felt like they got to that conclusion without any evidence whatsoever. I think that's the point, though, is... Yeah, okay, I could see that. Is that these suburbanites have literally nothing better to do with their lives than to focus their energy in a nonsensical way. It just seemed like it came out of kind of nowhere. So, okay, but I could see that because really, I mean, in the 80s, people were getting sent to prison for... Absolutely. You know, not doing anything. Yes. So that that night, uh, Ray looks out his bedroom window and he sees the neighbors and they're wearing like cloaked hoods digging in their backyard in the rain. And he's like, what? What? Why is this happening? So 
there are little bits of creepiness that are beginning to not make sense. They're just different than the rest of the suburbanites, so everybody else is in a panic about these weirdos doing their different thing, and they're starting to, you know, draw their lines together to reach their conclusions of obviously you're different, you're satanic, I guess. And Art is really pushing it on Ray too, this whole satanic spin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty funny. There's this one scene where he's like trying to convince him that they're satanic. This also was ad-libbed, uh, but it's this scene here. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. Uh, that scene made me laugh. Uh, that was pretty funny. So the next morning, Walter's dog, the old guy with the toupee, his dog Queenie, she's back and they see her like out and about without Walter and everybody, all the neighbors gather together, which seems unbelievable, but we actually in our neighborhood have a neighborhood situation <laughs> with a dog where we're like, what should we do? Who yeah. do we who do we contact here? It's true. It's totally believable. Get it. We live in suburbia. Bye. Um, And actually, let's here talk a little bit about this street that they all live on. Does it seem familiar to you? Oh, um, no. Why are you? Oh, you're you're teasing. So, yeah, I actually, though, it's just so familiar. I was like, I I know I've seen this house or that house. There were like little moments in the well, movie. Well, when we were watching it, I remember saying like, this seems like a lot, like a film lot. Yes. But I couldn't place place it. Yeah, yeah. It did seem like a film lot. Well, it was weird because I was like, wait, I've seen that before, but... Well, you dug it up. You got some. Yeah, you got some goods for us. I found actually a great article in the for Los Angeles Magazine by Jared Cohen. Oh yeah, that pretty much just breaks it down. Shout out, Jared, doing your stuff. Way to go! (laughs) So this is shot on a place called Colonial Street, which its name's changed. Uh, since then, and I'll get to it. Is it a real street, or is it a no, fake neighborhood? It's on uni- It's a, at Universal Studios. Oh, it's their back lot, isn't it? Yeah. So, it, in 1927, the first film on at Universal Studios, like they bought 230 acres. It's definitely grown since then. But they started filming, and in 1927, they filmed. It was like a a part of uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe's uh, adapted novel. Uncle Tom's Cabin. Oh, okay. And from there, the stage was set, so to speak. Oh, so and they just started building a, a neighborhood? Yes, just what? to fit their needs. But did people don't live in this one. No. This is strictly for filming. It's Universal Studios lot. And I've never been. Like have I've you been ever to, been? I've been to Universal Studios, but I didn't see this area. Oh, this is crazy because in a different situation. We have a neighborhood right next to us that was used. It was built specifically mm-hmm. for a film, the entire neighborhood. And then they just let people move in. Yeah, it's very near to us. And like now it's half just, a mile. Yeah, now it's just a normal uh, place where people live. Yes. <laughs> but it would not have existed without this film. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so this is different. So this is different because it grows up in a way that actually is sort of a, tells the tale of America, you know, in the 20th century. Interesting. It's very interesting. So 1927, Uncle Tom's Cabin, they build a house there uh, and... 
then they film, they begin to use this house to shoot in and outdoors. So you can like shoot out the windows and see outside. So it looks like it's filmed on location. And over time, they begin to reuse this. We see it in the black cat, the shaggy dog. Oh, interesting. Then part of a house is sort of like cannibalized for use in Psycho. Really? This is where it was? Oh, it no, was no. shot. Well, it's shot at Universal Studios, yeah. but they only took part of the house. Oh, okay. And so they're like reusing and rebuilding as they go along. And actually, um, Jared Cohen, the author of this article, kind of posits that perhaps this is due to like the wartime mentality uh, after World War II, like saving and oh, rationing, reusing, yeah. rationing. Absolutely. And then... Uh, this is really interesting. Tammy, the uh, Demi, Debbie Reynolds plays a character named Tammy in The Bachelor. Uh-huh. And I thought that was interesting because Debbie Reynolds is Carrie Fisher's mom. And it was on the same lot. And I just thought that was oh, weird. kind of a little... Although not a shock because when you have actors yeah, yeah. in the family, at some point they're going to be filming on this lot. Absolutely. No, that's cool though. But the biggest for me, I think, was... The Munsters. Oh, really? The Munsters' house is shot on Colonial Street. So Whose house was it in this film? I don't know whose house it was. It's this whole street. So here's the deal. A lot of these houses have changed in bits and pieces over time, so it's a little bit difficult to tell whose house was whose. So they'll rebuild, salvage, repurpose, refurbish, upgrade. But what's interesting is that over time, all of these houses take on a kind of a patchwork effect that you actually get in the suburbs of houses building up kind of gradually over time. So you have (laughs) different eras that have developed. But the Munsters, they had filmed like an initial episode in color, didn't quite work out. So then they... I mean, I think it worked out, but they kind of revamped it, made the house look older, creepier, built there. Also on the same street, Colonial Street, leave it to Beaver. What? Yes. The Oh, you know what? I did know that because I think there is a sign that's like a reference to leave it to Beaver in this film. Interesting. Yeah. Well, actually, it wasn't all of leave it to Beaver. I think the first two seasons were shot somewhere else. But then MCA bought Universal Studios in 1958. Also, you coming in hot this week with the with the film trivia. Also, by this by this time, the uh, studio space was more than 400 acres, so it had grown exponentially. Wow! Wait, I just I'm so distracted. I'm almost caught up. I just I'm distracted by the people. There's these people next to you fanning you. Because you're just on fire right mm-hmm. now with the, with the fun facts. Here it goes. <laughs> just plowing through. Yes. So nothing really happens in the 70s, yeah. which is fair. Because if you think about what was going on in America, it, it makes sense that yeah. there wasn't a lot of draw to suburbia to use this space in that way. But back in the 1980s, we see a real... I don't know, revitalization of the suburbs. People are interested in it. All these baby boomers are moving to the suburbs to raise their families, so it becomes kind of relevant again. That's interesting. I would definitely say 80s films generally do have suburban like mm-hmm. neighborhoods. That Absolutely. Start. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And then this is where 
uh, Colonial Street really takes off for me. They actually, there's a, a long list of names of films that an old person would probably know. But <laughs> tell me the ones that you like. So obviously, number one, an episode of Murder She Wrote. Okay, Boom. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> well, you're really you, you need to pick it up. Okay. Well, Matlock was shot there. Yeah, no, better. Okay. 1989, The Burbs was shot there. Oh, that's a good one. I've seen that one. Yeah, during the uh, six-month-long writer's strike. Okay. Which is interesting because it was really quiet on set. There weren't many films being shot in Universal Studios. The only other one was uh, Fletcher Lives. or Yeah, Fletch Lives. Fletch Lives, yeah. Chevy yes. Chase. Uh, and then after that, Beethoven. As in the dog. Oh, yeah. Uh, Casper, which we embarrassingly know quite well with Christina Ricci. Yeah. Uh, Gus Van Sant's Psycho. Ooh, you're going to ruffle some feathers there. Hold on to your seat. Deep Impact was shot there. Oh, okay. Now I'm on board 100%. I love Deep Impact. The Coen Brothers Lady Killers was shot in part there. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. And then I'll wrap it up real quick so we can get back to the actual movie. Um, Colonial Street has kind of gotten a new name. Oh, what is it? Well, it's now Wisteria Lane. You and I don't actually know this beyond the larger pop cultural implications, but uh, Desperate Housewives was all shot there. Oh, they renamed it for it? Well, Desperate Housewives was so popular. I can't say that I've even seen a single no, episode. I definitely haven't. Um, but it was so popular that it's pretty much known now as Wisteria Lane. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so, whatever. I mean, Deep Impact had a had a shot there. That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> really. Yeah, and a lot of these weren't shot entirely there, just portions of it. Yeah, Deep Impact uh, had other locations. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you're all caught up on what happened on Colonial Street, and it had a name specific to this movie i can't even remember what it was but oh thanks that was fun isn't that interesting yeah i feel like that could have been a patreon episode well as you we'll get to that yeah uh i mean as you watch it you'll go that looks so familiar i totally did the whole time i was like i kind of feel like i've seen this before and the reason is you you have in so many different ways but it changes so subtly from film to film as they make adjustment adjustments to make it work for that particular film. i wonder if gremlins was shot on that too i don't think that it was but it was suburbia so dante yeah. was like very familiar yeah. with the suburban landscape for sure yeah um, okay, so uh, Art decides Walter was a human sacrifice. Yeah. Like, they make an, a really quick leap from finding the dog Queenie. Yeah. Remember, it was running loose. Uh-huh. Well, they decide Walter has obviously become a, a human sacrifice. Nothing else possibly could have happened. I love this because Ray has a dream that night where he is like... There's this giant demon barbecue that he's on. It's just so funny. And then the neighbor's like trying to stab him saying, mind your own business. This is a fun sequence. Oh my gosh. Normally I'm not a fan of dream sequences. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I, you know, I love the, the nightmare series, but other than that, I'm, I get kind of annoyed when there's dream sequences unless they're done really funny like this. And this oh, one is great. This is great. Yeah. Although it also had kind of Joe versus the volcano vibe. For sure. Of course. Absolutely. So uh, they they're the next day they're playing fetch with their dog talking <laughs> Art and Ray. And they kind of 
they're so distracted that they don't realize that they're playing fetch with a human femur. <laughs> yeah, that is And funny. when they do, they they go to look where the dog dug it up and it's a note that had that uh Ray had left. Yeah. So they realize, oh, the Colpex, they're creepy neighbors know that they've been creeping and all this stuff so. and then this is where they really start to in the movie it amps up to like we're gonna get to the bottom of this yes they do the total suburban thing where they invite themselves over well that's because the wives get involved and they're like you guys are out of control we need to just <laughs> walk to the neighbors meet them and like nip this but when they go over it is pretty fine, but oh. the, the standout scene, of course, for me is when they offer them food. Yes. So we see Neckbeard, whose name is Hans. We meet his uncle, whose name is Reuben. And eventually we meet the doctor, Dr. So Leonard. Yeah. Um, and they, they offer them coffee and Hans brings out some snacks for <laughs> all of these neighbors. I, you know, we've all been in this situation where you go over to a friend's house and they're really stoked about like the snacks they made you. This one is uh, pretzels and sardines. Oh my gosh! Tom Hanks. This is where he Tom Hanks it up, right? Okay. From this point, we get Tom Hanks doing what he does best. Mm-hmm. This scene is so funny, where he there's a sardine on a pretzel and he puts it in his mouth, and they're all watching. Oh. I just the the humor in this lands so well. It's got the. It's, he actually has the exact same reaction in Big when he's at that party and he eats the like fancy food and he doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah, the little corn is funny. It, well, and he has like beluga and he like wipes it on a, a napkin, whatever. He just, it's so funny. Full this, Hanks. This film in general, I would say why there are so many fans of it is that it just blends the horror comedy really well. Like Joe Dante, and he does that in Gremlins. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just knows how to do this. But this scene was really funny yeah. to watch. It's great because you watch the actors watching him yeah. and trying to respond You can tell, yeah. You can tell they were, like, enjoying the scene. It feels like you're on the edge of an SNL clip where they're about to break character. Totally agree. Yep, yeah. I totally agree. Meanwhile, outside Art, who was definitely not invited to this intro party, and the son of Ray and Carrie Fisher Carroll... Um, and Ricky are all trying to break into the house. Like, they use this as an opportunity to, like, sneak into the basement. Ricky does? He's, well, he's helping. Art's the one who climbs over oh, the fence. Oh, I don't remember Ricky involved. He's there. Yeah, so they're all just trying to get Art into the basement, but it doesn't go well. And the dog, they have a Great Dane who is so oh, cute. so cute. A Great Dane is my second dream dog. Irish Wolfhound, number one. Great Dane, number two. Really? What do you think mine are? A pug and a bulldog. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the dog breaks up out of the basement, and Ray takes this opportunity. He finds a toupee and shoves it into his pants. We don't don't see it happen. But... um, they decide, the men later decide to send their wives away and they're going to get to the bottom of the mystery of the neighbor's house. Yes. They break in, like they, Carol is sent away and everything is clear so that these men can do their job. Yeah, because the neighbors have decided to go away for, I guess, a day or something. Uh, yeah, I like think that. it was revealed in their. Yeah, Weird and so they're snack. like, this is our opportunity. We're going to just break and enter yes. and find a, a dead body. And. This scene is funny because 
Corey Feldman's character invite like basically has a block party. Yes. Because he knows this is gonna be this is over it. the top, which he was not wrong. It it's it is really funny. Corey Feldman he just This is great. He just is so natural at this kind of character. Yes. Like he just even when he's like struggling in real life can just phone it in. Like <sighs> I wish somebody would write another one of these for like the what is he in his forties now? Uh right? Is he? He's gotta be. Yeah, he probably is. He's got to be. So that character in his 40s, I would 100% go watch that. Look, we've made a new Bill and Ted. Why can't we do something for Corey? <laughs> That's I true. I will watch it. Well, because uh, Corey Haim. But Corey, Corey Feldman can do his own thing. It's true. He did Meatballs 4. So oh. How did that work out? But you know what? Speaking of Corey Feldman, uh, I you know might as well. Let's do uh, this week's fun fact. Okay. So, this is a weird one. What is it? This is the time in Corey's life when he was BFFs with Michael Jackson. Oh. Okay, so, Michael did not visit set. I think maybe he did maybe once or twice. But you know who did a lot? What? His chimpanzee bubbles. What? (laughs) Why? Why was he needed on set? I don't know. Maybe he was a big fan of Joe Dante's. But he would... Come on set so much, like to hang out with Corey Feldman. Wait, the monkey or the chimpanzee? chimpanzee, Yeah, don't call him a monkey. I know. Don't you? Have to edit that out. Did the did the chimpanzee have its own car? No, but he had his own trailer because he would use Corey's trailer. And you know what he did the whole time? Pooped. Yes, and just spread his feces everywhere to the point of Joe Dante banned him from ever coming back. Why? And that is this week's fun fact. That's so weird. So weird. Okay, Ugh. well, that was an interesting time. Never mind, time. I take back everything I said. It's <laughs> so weird. Such a weird time in Hollywood cinema. <laughs> I think all times are. It's true. So everybody's convinced that the their neighbor, uh, owner of Queenie, is dead and buried in the basement. Yes. I don't know how they reached that conclusion, considering that they saw them bury or digging in the backyard. See, that's another one of these little... Well, you know, the writer was on strike, yeah. so they couldn't be like, hey, and then everybody's like, you know what would be cool? Let's do this. Let's and then I think that's the when basement. the script got a little yeah. kind of convoluted. Who cares? I, I don't care Nobody cares. So they decide that they're going to go dig in the basement. They wait for their opportunity and they strike. And it's... Art and Ray, who go. Yeah. And then Bruce Stern's character, Mr. Rumsfeld, he is like their lookout. He's in communications manager. Yeah. He is on the roof of a house while they break in. They like cut a power line. It's a whole thing. Get into the basement. They see a crazy furnace. Yeah. Kind of go, well, that's too much. Let's dig into the floor. And uh, Ray starts going crazy he's <laughs> sure there's a body under there and he just starts he just picks a spot on the floor and yeah. starts digging <laughs> and <It's> funny <laughs> and then meanwhile walter the old man returns he's yeah. not dead not dead at all absolutely they're like we found him we think we found him because they hit a sound like something like tings and they just yeah, decided it was like it's metal, a corpse which uh-huh. we'll find out shortly what that was meanwhile the clopex because the whole day has passed yeah the clopex pull up see that somebody's in their basement turn off their headlights and scoot back yeah they go get the cops yeah and then the party is 
raging at Ricky's <laughs> totally house. Totally raging. Absolutely going on. <laughs> and this is when Ray's character hits a gas line. <laughs> so he so... digs so deep that he hits a gas line and the house explodes. <laughs> this, is, this film is so funny. So classic. It's so simple. Like, it's just neighbors being too nosy. Mm-hmm. It literally digging where they shouldn't be digging into other people's property. And he hits a gas line. The house entirely blows up. Everybody thinks he's dead. And that he is like an absolute monster for having blown up these poor neighbors' house. But he walks out in this classic scene. Oh my gosh. Which is really, really funny. Yes. This is Tom Hanks in full form right here. Like this is A+. It's like, watch, it's like watching an Olympian at their peak. He Really, this is him flexing hard <laughs> on cinema. This is him ribbon dancing. He comes out and it's just so damn funny because I, he's got this, there's like this triumphant music is playing too. He survived. Part of the house collapses right behind he's him. He's like smoking, like yeah. his body is smoking. Yes. And then he comes out, everybody's sworn by this point. The police, the police are there because the Klopex have returned with the, the party police. is like raging. Everybody's like, all right, man, this is totally cool. There's the pizza guy pizza. delivers all the pizzas finally. Yeah. Oh, man, this is really funny. And then Ray comes out, he's injured. His wife Carol comes back. Art approaches and he's like, we did it, we found it. And uh, Ray is not pleased that Art is still on on this horse he's like get off we didn't find anything yeah you're crazy we're the crazy people they like, didn't do anything yeah. to us it's yeah. a classic tom hanks out of control like just slightly unhinged but somehow still charming monologue and this is where okay let's play a clip and then we'll talk some more this is probably my favorite line in the whole <laughs> film and it would be this little number stop again. i've been blown up take me to the hospital Okay, that's just classic Tom Hanks. Then this is where he ad-libs the uh, grab the gurney, throw yeah. himself into the back of the of the ambulance. And he's just laying there face down as Carrie Fisher's talking to him. Yeah, and she's like, so I guess I'll just meet you at the hospital or whatever. <laughs> so she's funny. so calm, so deadpan. It's delightful. Yeah. And then he's in the ambulance. Dr. Klopek yeah. gets in and he's like, surely you saw... The skull in my furnace. Do you yeah, take he, me for an the idiot? big reveal is that they actually were killing tons of people. Yep. Yep. And he actually said it was the the, the skull of the Naps, the previous owner. Yeah, the of previous his owners. Home. They wouldn't sell the house, so they basically just killed them. Yep. And he's getting ready to give him like a lethal injection. Hans is in the <laughs> front seat. He's Good somehow. Old Hans. <laughs> he, and he's dressed up like, like he's on the top of a. Like a cuckoo clock or yeah, something. Yeah, he's in his lederhosen. Yes. Oh my gosh, it's great. <laughs> it's like it, he's going to Oktoberfest. I don't. <laughs> I love it. It's so funny. He's driving. Clearly, doesn't know how to drive an ambulance, and he immediately crashes it into Art's house. The gurney pops out the back of the ambulance and goes rolling, while uh, Ray and Doctor Klopek are fighting each other for their life, and. Tom Hanks, once it crashes, is like, citizens arrest, citizens arrest. Yeah. Because he, now he knows that that's in fact what's been going on. His he suspicions been, like, are confirmed. Charged with a billion felonies too. Yes. Like everything. But then it busts open the trunk. Yes. Of the neighbor's car. 
of the Klopex car. And uh, the doctor's like, well, you don't have any proof. And then they're like, well, what about this? And it's just filled with human remains. Yes. Like skeletons. A bunch of skeletons. It's pretty funny. And he's busted. And uh, Mr. Rumsfeld tackles Hans. And, <laughs> yeah, that is Which cool. is one of the better scenes in this it movie. It is really funny. Yeah. And that's the end of it. Man, the burbs. This... It's so weird how a film with like literally no real plot. It's like no crazy neighbors. They're nosy. They find out that they were right. End of story. Could be this entertaining. So good. It's really a fun film. I love it. Yeah, it holds up. It so does many hold times up big you watch. Time. So, so many times you watch those treasured movies from the past again, and you're like, Ugh. well, they're not like dissing on Anybody. all these minorities or anything like that. Like, I mean, it just it's not like your typical '80s humor. Yeah, where the the punchline is like, you know. At the at the mercy of people who, making fun of anybody, yeah, of anybody of any kind in mm-hmm. the '80s. That's what I love is that this is just a fun film. Yeah, it's very easy to watch. The cast is great. They all give it their best. Yeah, everybody's like top form. It's I could great. see why this totally became a cult classic. Yeah, I I've had this. On VHS, but I found a new VHS version that was a promo copy with a compliments of Campbell's soup sticker on the Cam- front. Yeah. And I wasn't lo- it chunky soup? Yeah, I love it and Not I will chunky. never get rid of it for that reason. <laughs> I think that is hilarious. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of my tapes having some weird thing about it that separates it from the bunch uh-huh. and a compliments of Campbell's chunky soup. Sticker is uh, definitely something special. I agree. So that is The Burbs. Um, you know it. You love it. You love it. You're welcome. Go watch it. I hope you did in preparation for this. But it wasn't received well, but it definitely got a cult. It's kind of like The Monster Squad. It totally became a cult classic. Um, it holds up really well. Highly recommend it. Laser Graves approved. I'm, there's not much more to say about it. Have fun. Have fun. Enjoy your Tom Hanks. Watch a couple more movies because they're all fun. Call your mom. Talk about Tom Hanks. She loves them too. <laughs> That's right. Oh, you know what we didn't discuss? What? There is one weird thing that happened in this film. What? He was watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. <gasps> yes! And he later plays Mr. Rogers. Yeah, he wakes up from his barbecue nightmare and he's watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and that's what came out, what, last year? There's also another scene like that in this film that we didn't discuss where somebody calls Corey Feldman a meatball and he yeah. later goes on to be in Meatballs. Yeah. There you go. This this film works on so many levels, you guys. Wow. So deep. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or if it. I was Keanu Reeves, I'd be like, whoa. So that's this week's episode. Like we said at the beginning, if you like what you heard, please go rate, review, subscribe. You can do it right now. It you will can take do it. One, not even one full minute. It costs you nada. Not even hardly any of your time. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following. Follow everybody else that we shout out on Instagram because they are all super cool. And we will see you next week. If you want to follow us on Instagram, though, we are at uh, Laser Graves. Our personal site's death at 33 RPM for me. I'm at Mariah Rose Wimmer. See ya. Bye. Go drink some water. Bye. Bye.